Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I'm Brian, with me as always are Zach and Vince. We are going to talk about the DC Comics released on April 11th, 2018. But first, we're going to talk about the solicits that just came out today, or rather yesterday, for uh, DC's July books. So boys, real quickly, what stands out to you in these solicits? I mean, there's one big piece of news. Huge, huge news. Huge. Do you want to break the internet here, Zach, and tell us what that is? Yeah, yeah. The the one and only Jan Durgans is taking over Lean Granterns. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, we were just talking before we came on the air about this. It does not appear that this is a, a long-term assignment, as DC did not make a big announcement about it. There was no press release about it. It just kind of came out in the solicits. And usually that means that they're just kind of filling in for a while. Um... And we had talked about Robert Venditti leaving the book at issue 50, which will hit in August. So it makes sense that maybe in September there's sort of a status quo shift of the uh, of the Lantern books. I mean, I think all of us at times enjoyed Jurgen's action comics way more than we thought we would. So is this the worst possible assignment for this book, or what? I mean, it might be interesting. I I don't think it's going to be interesting, but I I think it's going to be competent anyway. But I mean, I mean interesting just in that it's it'll be interesting like a like a disaster is interesting. Like <laughs> like a, a force of nature is interesting. I just think um it's really time to like it's the least surprising choice DC could have made, right? Like Jurgens is leaving one book and there's going to be an opening on this other book and I guess it's got to slot him there cuz he's got no other real avenue to to go. Like Jurgens is never leaving DC, right? Mhm. Probably he's not. Like, He's like the reverse Bendis without the sales, but like, <laughs> um, he yeah, he's just gonna bounce from DC book to DC book until he retires or I don't know what. But he'll eventually slide into that Neil Adams slot of just doing even more nonsensical miniseries. Sure, sure, and his books are like usually solid. They're usually like plotted just fine they have some like hokey dialogue they're a little bit old-fashioned and sometimes that's charming and other times it's not um but i feel like the lantern titles we've been saying it long enough they just need a completely new direction like i and i'm talking like creatively i don't even care if it's all the same characters i don't even care if the focus is the same i just want you know the green lanterns are supposed to be the most creative of the DC superheroes, really, when you consider their power set. And the books themselves just feature such conventional art and such conventional storytelling most of the time that they could really benefit, especially now that now that they're not really in the Jeff Johns uh, stratosphere as far as sales are concerned or, or like, character recognition. They could really 
benefit from some more experimentation. And that's like the furthest thing from Jan Durgens's mind when he's writing a comic book, you know? Yeah, it's it's almost like the Green Lantern books now are stuck in this weird limbo where on one hand they're trying to get back to that um Jeff John's level of success, but on the other hand they're they're not trying at all <laughs> to do anything. So you just love with these really boring comics that, that don't have any any real nuance or any real chances being taken. Um I actually have a Green Lantern comment in a little while, but um well, I guess we'll talk about it now. So, in this, did you guys see the solicits for Justice League number three or four, wherever it is? Yeah. How John Stewart is going to be dealing with the ultraviolet spectrum of light? Yes. Yes. So, I, I feel like this is now what Scott Snyder keeps doing, which I'm not. I'm not uh, saying this is a bad thing. He takes ideas that this is the joke Vince is going to say I make all the time the Royal Tenenbaums joke, like, everybody knows that there are eight colors in the light spectrum. What this book presupposes is maybe there's more. Like, he he's like, you know, he talks about, you know, there's the multiverse, but now he's making this other multiverse that's, you know, just kind of always been there, we didn't know about it. And then there's all these light spectrums, but now there's this other light spectrum. Like, it just seems like he's... That's comics, baby. It is, but it's great comics. I love that. I feel like this is way more interesting than retconning something away. I'll always appreciate building more versus retconning away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially because it's so it's apparently so easy for DC to just ignore stuff they've created too, you know? You don't have to do away with it if you just never think about how many characters are floating around out there that you just never see. You know? Like Firestorm, like they didn't have to do away with Firestorm. They just don't put him in books anymore. <laughs> you know, you don't have to. You don't have to get rid of things. He's in a book this week. I what book? We'll talk about it in a minute. No, we won't. Yes, we will. All right. You know, are we done with the Jurgens lanterns? Uh, yeah. Lean, what else? Lean lanterns. What else in the solicits want to talk about? Well, we're all getting the uh, mime and marionette. Uh, <laughs> <gasps> the featured issue of Doomsday Clock that we were all clamoring for. We all wanted this, right? You can see our boners from space. <laughs> Not mine, because I have a lot more in common with uh, Dan Dryberg <laughs> than I'd like to admit. You're um, both Jewish. Just kidding. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, no new Superman still is it this month. Oh, I didn't even notice that. That's bad. Well, I have an idea about this. Um, a couple months ago on Twitter, Scott Snyder had said that the, Jul- the June, July, and August solicits would all be like huge for DC. And I wonder if uh, if this means that we are because you know he also talked about how there were going to be more teams kind of operating out of this Hall of Justice. Then mm-hmm. have been announced already. What if this is leading to some sort of uh, new Justice League book? Oh, I'd run naked through the streets. <laughs> well, for the sake of your neighbors, I hope that's not happening then. <laughs> um, um, what else happens in here? Uh, they dropped the 
six-issue miniseries tag from uh, Shade the Changing Woman. Oh, okay. So I wonder if that was a mistake. I'm then. sure it was. Yeah, probably. Um, let's see. There was something else. We Creative team-wise. Uh, we got a little bit more information about the <gasps> Oh, the there was a Titans big one! And Titans uh, teams, but that's... Yeah, we did find that out, but the big one, did you guys see the Wonder Woman solicit? Well, that's yes, what, that's what that's, I was waiting to talk about, yeah. Yep, yep, that's what I was thinking of. So Steve Orlando has said it's a one-time, it's a, it's a fill-in arc, and that he's following up specifically on Shea Fontana's work on the book. Ah, so, I, so we can so we can pretend the James Robinson stuff never happened. I'm pretty sure that's everyone's plan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll Whoops. see. Uh, we gotta drive him away again. <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Why is Dan Jurgens Snagglepuss now? <laughs> you mean Dan DiDio? I mean, I mean Dan DiDio. Yeah. <laughs> Although Dan Jurgens Snagglepuss is even more delightful to me. <laughs> I'm pointing at you, even. Uh, yeah. Um, the, we're also uh, getting, uh, we're getting oversized 50th issues now. Yep. Oh, good call. Yeah. That, uh, Wildstorm cover is pretty insane. Just looking at it right now. Yeah. We're getting uh, a, uh, a couple of interesting collections, as always. But one of the ones is, uh, I, sorry, before I forget also, how is Batman Beyond still going? <laughs> oh, more, um, New Age of Heroes artist watch, um, Carrie Nord on issue two of The Unexpected, Joe Bennett on Terrifics number six. Oh, jeez. Um... Kenneth Rockefeller is still going strong, and Bogdanovic. And so is um, uh, the bad Philip Tan on Chris Brimstone. Yeah. Yeah. Kerry Nord's, uh, like, the, he's like the um, relief hitter for the New Age of Heroes, I guess. I guess so, yeah. I, I guess if I knew what a relief hitter was, I could, uh, <laughs> I could agree with you. <laughs> Relief pitcher, you knew what I meant. I know. Shut up. I just went with it. I just, <laughs> I, 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 de- I detected no, um, no problem there. <laughs> I'm in, a, I'm in an NFL draft mindset, not the, not the MLB. You're always an NFL mindset. Yeah, that's true. The Brewers are are back and they're bad again. Oh. Um. Yeah, there's a. Uh... I can't believe that certain books are still going, as we've established. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited about, like, looking at these solicits, the Justice League stuff is obviously excited. I'm kind of excited for Jurgens. I mean, for uh, uh, Bendis on the Superman books. I'm morbidly curious about Jurgens on Green Lanterns. Um, I feel like the next few months of solicits are going to be interesting. I feel like September is going to look... Almost entirely different than September of this year looked. Oh, I hope so. Oh, 
then it is without any further ado that we dig into the Big Daddy Action Comics number a thousand number one thousand. Uh, so there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine stories in this book. Oh, sorry, ten stories in this book. Um, should we just go story by story? Yes. Sure, but real real quick, do you want to just take a quick temperature of the issue as a whole? Because I would like to know if I'm the only one who thought that this was a total snooze fest. Ooh, Zach. Mr. Superman himself. I was thoroughly disappointed in this as an anniversary issue. We'll get into it, but... Oh, man. I I mean... Go ahead, Vince. You could. There are some quibbles for sure, and it certainly wasn't the most ambitious uh, project outside of a couple stories. But I thought it was a pretty. I I thought it was a. It aimed to please on the whole, and I thought it did that. I thought pretty much all the way through, there wasn't like a real stinker that was just awful. No, I'll just I agree. <laughs> I I don't think I I would agree with that. I don't think there's a stinker, but I also don't think that there's like anything above. There's one one story in here that I thought was really was was something I would I would put like at the level of like yeah this belongs in a in an anniversary issue of this magnitude. Yeah. See, I will say that I feel like all of these books, all these anniversary books that happen are always far worse than you think they are. Than they're going to be. They're, they almost always disappoint me because you're not going to see any huge things happen. You're not going to have any major status quo shifts. But, like, you could, though. But they, you never do. No, that's you, not true. They like, used to. They used to. Like, you you could end, like, a major story on, like, a big number or, like, start a big story, which this does do that. I've got to take. I've got to, I've got a thing that I think that they should have done, like a, a squandered opportunity, but killed Superman and <laughs> no. ended Action Comics forever. No, no, not that. Oh. So what is it? Lay it on us. Come on. Okay, I didn't know if we wanted to wait. Okay. Um so you got you remember, the juice, Zach. You just go. Do you remember how the last issue of Fables was a trade paperback was volume 22? Yes. I think that Action Comics would have 1000 should have been all of Man of Steel. Oh, that's damn. that's pretty good. Maybe you should have my job. Even that's even, what I think. Even I think that that would have been big, and I think, and that's the thing. Like if if a if something like Fables could do something like that, this is. I mean, we're gonna have one other thousandth issue coming up. Um, next year, you know, next year, by the time that, you know, say Superman, Batman, by the time they get to a thousand, who knows if we'll even still have print comic books. Um, you know, at least the way we have them now. Jesus sack. I mean, I'm just thinking like, when do they, when do they ever, when this is a big thing, you know, and this issue just felt so 
Not big. Not it, it. It didn't feel like anything. So what you're saying is, when Detective One Thousand comes around, you want an entire Frank Miller miniseries. And I, I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, why not tell? Like, why not do an event in a single issue? You know? Okay, but not Frank Miller. Not Frank Miller. He wants Tom King. Yeah. I just. I think that. I think that this kind of weird. Um, anthology type thing with these stories that don't matter and have a lot of the same themes being reiterated, a lot of the same ideas. It just feels kind of trite and it doesn't feel so much like a celebration. It's, it's, I don't know. We can get into it more as we go through each individual story. All right, well, let's do that. So first up, we get the Dan Jurgens joint from the city that has everything, which has uh, Superman su- pounding some cund. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it does. I'm really sorry. No, don't be, don't be. Uh, what I was going to say is that this really has uh, like every. Jurgen's trope in it, uh, you know, down to, down to like you know, just it's it, it's an incredibly Jurgensy comic, but mm-hmm. it also has like it's it's a nice idea to me. This is this is exactly the type of story you expect in this kind of a book, uh, and that that's not really a, a celebration of this story. I think it's just this is the type of book you get. The type of story you get in this type of book, but it did have my least favorite panel of the entire, uh, <laughs> the entire book. Okay, which one? The one of all the superheroes there for Superman Appreciation Day, because because in, sideways, sideways, is it? sideways. No, because fucking uh-huh. Deathstroke and Harley Quinn are there. Oh whoa! <laughs> Can you imagine Slade being like, "Yeah, I have a contract out for someone's life tonight, but I'm gonna swing by Metropolis to give my old pal Superman a hat tip." Like, there's no way. Oh, that undermines the Slade, whole thing. Slade's, no, Slade's an old softy, and of course Harley's there wearing a Superman shirt. I'm with Vince. The weirdest thing is the, that sideways is hundred years weird. from now. Someone is in a, Someone is going to come back and look at the thousandth issue of Action Comics and and say, <laughs> "Who the fuck is that?" Yes. <laughs> who is Who is directly over Sideways' shoulder? I was uh, wondering that too. Good, good question. <laughs> it's probably one know. of the immortal men. Or yeah. Something. And is that the Spectre in front of Sideways? No, I think that's supposed to be Lilith. Oh yeah, probably. Here's the thing, though, like, that, that I immediately turned my attention to that, and my first thought was, si- Sideways not, does not belong here at all, but then it had me thinking about all these big issues in, like, each decade, where if you went back, you would see a character or a costume that you would be like, what the hell oh, is yeah, that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. when I'm reading, because I'm, you know, when I went through Wonder Woman, there were, like, eras of Wonder Woman where characters would show up in the most insane costumes. And I thought, like, th- like there's no way that people weren't rioting back then <laughs> over how stupid this was, you know? <laughs> and now you, you go back to a milestone issue and you see 
It's like a time capsule. So so Action 1000 contains a mini time capsule mm-hmm. of the new age of heroes that is not going to be remembered 10 years down the road, except when somebody goes back to look at this issue. <laughs> I think even Harley and Deathstroke can be under that same category, too. Well, yeah. Har- no, Harley's going to... Not Harley. I don't know. I could see Harley being... I think Harley today is like the colored lantern core of 10 years ago where it seems like it's going to be part of everything going forward but when was the last time you saw a non-green lantern yeah that's true but this story is just typical like boring garbage mm-hmm. um not wrong <laughs> yeah I, I, garbage is strong <laughs> where did that come from you don't think this story is garbage I don't think it was garbage. It was just unambitious. I guess so. But it was but see that's kind of like that's kind of what I mean when I say this is like a book that'll please everyone to a certain degree, not offend anyone um and not have anything overly awful in it. I mean garbage would would imply that this is awful, but really what this is is it's just a very surface level basic appreciation of what Superman is. Superman comes, they have a Superman day for him, which this is probably what, like the third or fourth or fifth Superman day that they've had for him. You know, that's gotta be a thing. And a zero to that. that, Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it just gives all these characters like Maggie Sawyer and Perry white, a chance to like speak on Superman for a little bit and give their little, you know, every side of Superman explored, you know, and uh, it gave Jurgens a chance to draw Superman again, doing things like destroying the engines of big ships and throwing uh, a cond through a portal, you know, like uh, just big Superman ideas that we've seen a million times before, but distilled down into this little story. And so, no, it doesn't break any ground and it's not great, but it, you know, it, is a celebration of especially a certain era of like this is very much a Jurgens Superman yeah you know and if and if you're doing action comics anniversary you've got to acknowledge the big contribution that Jurgens has had and they do that a little bit more later too but I'll talk about that later yeah um, can, can I just talk about one other thing in this story yeah so there's like you know, it it begins with you you see Lois and Clark and I mean Lois and John, and they're waiting for Clark and you don't know exactly what they're doing yet, and then you see this sort of full page splash of the Superman Day thing, and you see Lois ripping open her shirt to reveal a Superman shirt underneath, but she's looking so sad while she's doing it. I, I don't understand what that panel's supposed to <laughs> she's evoke. Like, uh, is it okay that I did this? Exactly. Yeah, it's just it's a really really weird. It looks it is weird. I, I just and then John's like, "Whoa!" right next to her. It's a, it's a very very weird panel. She's overcome with emotion. Emotion. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was the first story. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, let's see what the second story was here. So this is the Pat Gleason, Peter Tomasi story. Where it's uh, Vandal Savage essentially trapped Superman in like this weird time loop thing, and he's reliving. He's weaponized hyper time. Yeah, this 
This one was my favorite. If it, you couldn't have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I figured. This one is unquestionably good. Uh, it's yeah. it's all like single page splashes from throughout Superman's history. Um it's just simple and it works extremely well. And it lets Gleason do all the different sort of styles of Gleason in one. It's like a great portfolio for what Gleason can do. Mm-hmm. Um it even has some Kingdom Come thrown in there. It does, yes. That one was especially on the nose. <laughs> I believe yeah. somebody says Kingdom King, Come. Not yeah. even Kingdom Come is the only words on that page, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the I only... mean there's that, there's some Frank Miller. The only there's one some... I didn't the only one I didn't recognize was Superman versus this like ghostly woman. What was that? Oh, that's that's Banshee, right? Oh, I don't really do I I don't I'm not I don't think I've ever read any of that. I know that she, I think the only thing I recall her from she was featured a lot in I think she was featured some in the animated series and she was also featured some in the last issue like pre new 52 Supergirl. Yes. Oh, yeah. Silver right. Banshee, yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Um, yeah, that was the only one I couldn't make out. I liked the uh, the Mole Men one, which was more like the that was like a nod to the was that like a TV movie way back in the day? Yep. Or like a movie? Maybe yep. it was in the theaters. I don't know. But. I believe that was the first uh, George Reeves. Ah, yep. Yep. There you go. Um. But yeah, to me, this is the perfect anniversary example of, like, it celebrates its whole history, but doesn't really do all that much. Alright. Then we get uh, John Romita's god-awful Superman pinup, where he has a, t- where he has a skinny, skinny right leg, <laughs> and uh, just stuck his hand in the electrical socket, and his hair is all sticking up. God, this is a horrible pinup. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Where's that? Oh, I have a print copy in front of me. Maybe, maybe oh. yeah, that was, that was not in the PDF. Okay. 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 My apologies. Uh, it's it's bad, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for you to see how bad it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> you haven't even seen it yet. And you're laughing. No, I, I'm imagining it, and I'm I'm really finding it funny. Uh, I have great imagination. He kind of looks like Bizarro here, but he also kind of looks like Michael Shannon. But he also kind of looks like uh, I want to kill Superman, like uh, Mongo from Blazing Saddles. It's a, it's a, it's really an ugly, ugly drawing. Um, All right, okay, yeah. Uh, next, we get the the weird Marv Wolfman Kurt Swan story. That's actually a Cindy Goff Kurt, Kurt Swan story. Um. Yeah, this was really odd. Uh, I mean, I get what they're going for, re- re- repurposing some Kurt Swan art that was never used. But it's some Kurt Swan art that doesn't show Superman. Like that last right. page of Superman is taken from another comic. Right. Yes. It's weird. <laughs> And the Kurt yeah. Swan Superman doesn't even look like Kurt Swan Superman usually. No, it doesn't. And it's 
Well, I believe it had an assist from Butch Geis, I think. Yeah. Yeah. He did inks. I get I get why they did it, but it's... I get it, too. It's the first of many stories that I felt like were too short to have any kind of real impact, you know? And they... It's the first opportunity that the issue took to not show Superman, but show everyone's, like, impact on him, or, or his impact on everyone, I should say. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that it was a particularly successful example of that, but, you know, it is what it is. They just wanted to use this art, and, you know, fine, whatever. Yeah. The next story was insane. <laughs> okay, yes. so I... Full disclosure here. When I first saw the first page of this Jeff Johns, Richard Donner... Uh, oh, wait. You're, you're skipping you skip one. one. No, that's how it is. I'm t- I'm, I am pulling this from the book itself. Oh, okay. Well, the PDF was all fucked up. Then. What do you have next? We have uh, Neil Adams and Paul Levitz. We can go in your Brian, Wait a second. Wait a second. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's not in the print copy. Oh, <laughs> I'm not joking. Wait a second. So the so the print copy is better than the PDF copy. Is what you're saying? Well, I don't know. I haven't read the story yet. Oh no, oh, you missed out. Because <laughs> I just read my my physical copy of this. Oh, oh shit! I'm I'm opening the PDF now. <laughs> well, can Zach and I escort you through this <laughs> yes. masterpiece? Let me just catch up to you guys here. Okay, hang on. What page in the PDF is that? I don't. I don't uh, have the forty-four. PDF. It starts with. It starts on forty-four. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Yeah, this is not in the print copy I have. Weird. You know what? I have the convention exclusive one that DC sent me. So I don't know if that's why. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. Okay. Anyway. All right. So, oh, oh, what a Neil Adams face greeting me. <laughs> so, are you gonna are you gonna read it while we sit here and weigh it? Or no, do you, no, 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 you talk about it while I read it. All right. So, <laughs> so it's Superman versus Lex Luthor in a game of chess, <laughs> which. What uh what is what does Luther say about like oh you must have gotten this from a you must have stolen this from a museum, <laughs> from a museum yes cuz that's like compl- that's stole totally the chess set yeah because it looks old <laughs> <laughs> So they're playing a game of chess and then like super superman wins and then suddenly like Lex Luthor somehow makes kryptonite chains appear and and entrap superman uh but then superman has (laughs) superman has a mother box from scott free that cancels the kryptonite radiation (laughs) okay (laughs) and and it's just kind of that that's pretty much it like yeah just like oh better luck next time lex (laughs) There's oh oh Lex says one of the weirdest parts is when Lex is like uh, 
I'm going to choose to be the white pieces and uh, go ahead and make your... Uh, <laughs> he says something about make your uh, racist joke or something like that. Well, no, I felt like he was some, He was like, I'll take white to avoid stereotyping because I guess like, you know, if Superman's the good guy, Lex is the bad guy. White, ha- white hat, black hat. Type of yeah. Fish. Well, it, it really sounded like... It, sounds, it sounds like, yeah. Because he's like, he, yeah, he said... He said, like, I'll choose white. Avoid stereotypes. <laughs> Which is like, when I first read that, I'm like, what, like, because you're a white supremacist? Or what are you, what so are you suggesting the, here? The page with Superman breaking out of the chains uh-huh. is totally Vinnie Barbarino uh, Superman there. <laughs> like, sweat hog Superman. Mr. Carter. Yeah. Mr. Luthor. <laughs> I got a mother box, Mr. Luthor. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. What the fuck is that? Okay. Something, something, Freddy Boom Boom Washington. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, That's now- a treat. Well, now we're going to have to wait and see if that actually is, like... I mean, so- we might have to edit this whole section out. No, no, this is, uh... This is... This shows... First of all, this shows how the sausage is made on our show. Number one. Oh, okay. Uh, number two. At the last minute, is it? What? At the last minute. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, how how are we to know that we'd be reading different copies of the book? We couldn't have. We couldn't have. Uh, all right, so next is The Car by Jeff Johns and Richard Donner and Olivier, Oliver, Olivier, rather, Coypel. Um When I first saw the uh, the smashed car in the first panel... I thought, like, oh, the most Jeff Johns thing to do would be to tell a story about the car that Superman holds above his head on the Action Comics number one cover. Uh-huh. But it's not that. So no, it's about the guy standing behind the car on the cover. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it does have the car, though. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. It, it's called the car. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's somehow less interesting than I thought it would be. <laughs> It's not very, it's not very interesting. Yeah. Again, it's about like Superman inspire. In this case, it's a criminal, like Superman inspiring an orphan criminal to be a better person. And then that criminal goes and breaks the law by busting a fire hydrant open to (laughs) get a bunch of kids wet in the street. (laughs) You're bad. What? What? Zach, what are you, what are you saying? They ever notice none of Superman's really weird boots in this issue? So is that Not he has those boots in another ish in, in another story too? I I just thought maybe that was like the kind of boots he wore back maybe. then. Maybe I guess I never never really noticed it before. Well, here's the interesting thing. Ev- did you notice that every story in this issue features the red underwear, regardless yep. of. Regardless mm-hmm. of when it takes place, the only one that might not, I think, was maybe the new Fifty Two spread from Gleason's issue. Otherwise, in every one, he's wearing the the undies. Just thought I'd point that out. Um. All right. So uh, next up, we'll see if we're in the same order now. Is uh. The the planetarium, yeah, it's the fifth season. Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque. Yeah, um, Albuquerque's Lex is so Albuquerque's Lex. <laughs> I really like this issue a lot. 
or this this story, I should say. Apparently, Zach didn't. It was fine. It I was think, fine. Yeah. Here, here's my thing. It feels like the it feels like the setup, or maybe the payoff to a, a greater Scott Snyder story. That I hope we never see. Because I thought just I thought just getting this much, and it was almost like the two characters at times were talking. It was uh, Superman and Lex. It was almost as if they were talking in shorthand that only they would understand sometimes. And I really appreciated the way that that it created this like reading this story. It really felt like. Uh, an alien and a super genius talking about an insane plot that goes back through time and the reader's not in on it and yet the reader gets everything that they need from it and it's a more or less perfect characterization of Lex, I thought. Um, so I, I really liked it in that regard. I can't really argue with that. Me either. It shows, like, Clark's inherent goodness and Lex's, like, air of superiority or, um, like, the chip on his shoulder that he has for Superman always doing the right thing, you know? I can't believe you guys didn't like this more. No, I, 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 mean, I, I like the story. It, I thought it was fine. Yeah, it was fine. Again, <laughs> I mean, it was just... It was fine. <laughs> All right. Um, Matt, I did like the next one, though. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, I hated this one. Really? Yeah. The Tom King one? Yeah. Oh, I like this one. Well, as usual, I fall somewhere in the middle of you two. <laughs> Zach, why did you like it? I, I just thought it was nice. It was good. It... it it felt different than the other ones. It, Dumber? It, no. What's <laughs> dumb about it? Like, I mean, it's like... it's. I love the idea of, of, like, Clark living forever and just... I just like that. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like the idea of him choosing to just let Earth die. I mean, I know I get in the context of everything... It seems that everybody else is like in the singularity now or something like that. But uh Oh no, he's oh, making it seems like, it seems he's like... making Lois drink gross grape shit to stay alive. <laughs> Maybe she wants to drink it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't sense any maliciousness there. Hang on. I'm getting the words. He says he says I don't want to hear the words. <laughs> She tells me she's sick of the eternity flow, uh, formula. It tastes like grapes, which she liked a lot, but she's tired of grape. She's tired of grape. So okay, so Superman's more of a psychopath than I first upon first reading. Of but this. John, I wish you could see John. All right, so this commits two cardinal sins for me. First of all, it doesn't it doesn't do the canon slash wonderful thing of making Superman just age to middle age. <laughs> like, Superman <laughs> always gets a little grayer on the temples, a little yeah. bit stockier. This doesn't do that, so fuck this for that reason. 
Um, but more than that, I just feel like there's there's this coldness to the Superman that isn't there typically. You know, mm-hmm. he, he. What do uh, you do when you when you live for? millions of years and you have watched the planet you grow up on die and everything on it die and the planet's dying like release the, fact the that Snyder he even cut has like any <laughs> any like emotional attachment still to like his family and stuff but here's the thing all right so superman the character is built around this idea of loss right that's that's the entirety of his character is built around the loss of his home world and of his family. And then, like, in the Rebirth slash New 52 era, the, the death of his parents, like, he's a character that's shaped by loss. This story takes away all future losses. And it says, like, well, Mom and Dad, I know you died, but guess what? Everyone else is fine living in space, and I got nothing to complain about. And uh, I'm really bored of coming to visit you. And it's useless, and I don't know why I've been doing it. I probably should have stopped a billion years ago, but I didn't. But now I kind of have to, so uh, I don't care. Bye. I didn't take it like that at all. That's totally You're how being I read cynical. That's so unlike me to be cynical. No, I, I, I really, really dislike this. Uh, well, I liked it. It was probably... It was easily in my top three. It's in the top it's the, 11. It, it's the best Tom King thing I read this week. I disagree with that. <laughs> we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Oh yeah, we will. Alright, is the next one in your uh, book, the Louis Simonson, Jerry Ordway one? Yes. Uh-huh. I think this was my favorite one. Mm. Um... First of all, I, I just like this team. You I, just like Bibbo. Well, I was going to say, it has Bibbo. Uh, as you know, I am a, I am an unabashed Bibbo fan. Um, Bibbo <laughs> Yes. Uh, I'm like a Bibbo only for booze. Uh, to paraphrase that great Onion headline. I'm like a chocoholic only for booze. Um. Uh. No, I just, I just felt like this was this was so classic Superman. It shows both loving being Clark Kent and loving being Superman. It was uh, to me this was the most effective of the past creative teams coming back to do a piece. It both felt like their era, but with the exception of Bibbo and maybe Jimmy Olsen's freckles, I feel like this could have been at any point a Superman story, and it wouldn't have felt out of place. Mm-hmm. It was the most action comicsy one of them I thought. Yep. Just with the Daily Planet stuff and Yeah, this was really nice. It was fine. I like Jerry Ordway art. And it is really nice seeing Louis Simonson on there. I don't know if But she the story cho- was just alright. I don't know if she chose to uh take a step back from comics or if comics just stopped giving her jobs. But it's a shame. I think she's a very underrated writer. Um, yeah, I'd agree. In the ne- in my print copy, the next thing is a Walter Simonson pinup, mm, where Superman no, appears to be holding on a fart, based <laughs> on his uh, facial expression. <laughs> Again, can't wait for you guys to actually see these, so these jokes land better. But <laughs> this um, is like not faces for everyone. 
Yeah. Um, so then we get the uh, Action Land story, which is the Mitzelflick, Mitzelpitalik, however pronouncing it today. Story by Paul Dini and uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Um, this is fine. Gosh. No, I never want to see Mitzel, <laughs> like again after you're still burned after from Reborn after yeah. Mr. Oz. <laughs> yeah, um, never again. I uh, I didn't. I don't know that I cared so much for this story, but. Man, Garcia Lopez art looked so good. It does look good. Can we he, talk about how weird it is to unless this is like a going through time thing, we have um like the old Brainiac and Lex Luthor, but then we also have New 52 Zod and Darkseid. I guess that is that supposed to be conveying a passage of time or is it some weird weird mashup? Well, the whole thing is Mixispitalic or however you say it, rewriting uh-huh. Rewriting reality, and so if he's, if he's snipping bits from here and there. You know, it's it seems like it's basically whatever Garcia Lopez wanted to draw. You know, and he just really felt like drawing Jim Lee's dark side. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um. So next up, we get the uh, Brad Meltzer John Cassidy story. Oh boy. That was my least favorite one. I I didn't hate this one. I didn't hate it except for like weird boy child Superman the last page. Yeah. <laughs> Cassidy's art was really rough. Um and I thought like this did the thing where it's like showing okay, again showing how Superman inspires somebody or or whatever and it just felt real weird, and then and then for him to be like, "You should join the cops after this." Yeah. It's just really odd. Um, He's flying away, going, "Blue lives matter." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I didn't. The art really didn't do it for me on this one. I do still. I think I, I still have a soft spot for Cassidy art. Uh, this just doesn't remind me of classic Cassidy art, you know? I think it, it still looks pretty similar to me. Really? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, I think the main event is next, right? The truth. The truth? So much underwear talk. <laughs> yes. Written Underwear? by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Jim Lee. Uh, let's talk about Lee first. Uh, definitely the weaker part of the creative team here, I thought. Yeah, Lee is fine, but uh, Vince, I think you said this in a text to us this week. Like, Lee needs to stop being in the conversation of the great working artists. Yeah, I mean, he can't commit to more than, like, six pages a year, you know? And this this whole story feels like it was purposely written or, like, tailored to Jim Lee's art. 
And I feel like every time Jim Lee works on a book, that's the case. And every time that's the case, it ends up being a really lackluster story where the artist or the writer seems to feel like it's just got to be a brawl because it's Jim Lee and there's not going to be much more going on than that. I just don't think I don't think he like stages a fight very interestingly. I don't think there's really that much imagination. I can't going remember the last here. time Jim Lee surprised me. Right. I I sort of liked that scene. I liked that page where the first panel is black and then Superman comes to sees that he's about to smash into that window and then stops himself. And then the next page the guy just like pushes him through. I thought that was an okay sequence where he sees like himself in the reflection. Yes, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But wasn't that a good scene because of how Bendis wrote it? Yeah. It's the framing. Less than like the actual way it was depicted, I guess. But here's why I kind of still liked this story. Because even though I didn't care for the art all that much, and even though like the undies dialogue was a little or very much on the nose. You know, of course he's got to have everybody. It's not enough to just bring back the undies and have somebody like maybe comment on it. They have to go back and forth on it on whether it's a good thing or not, or what it means, <laughs> you know, because Bendis can't help himself in that regard. Um, th- this felt for better or worse. And let's be honest, like, if you want to encompass the entirety of 1,000 issues of Action Comics, it's not all going to be great. And what what this harkened back to, for me, is the fight with Doomsday. Like, to me, this is... This staging is very much in that 90s Doomsday, Death of Superman style. Now, you can argue whether that's a good or a bad thing or something worth emulating or whatever, but to me, this was the creative team hearkening back to Jurgens. And on that level, I can appreciate that, well, you know, the story may not be for me. It is very much an era of action comics that they're calling back to. Does that make sense? I'm getting like not a lot of feedback here. No, I'm I'm thinking about what you're saying. Yeah, I uh I mean, I don't know. There's again, like I don't care for I used to really really get into the idea of short little preview stories. Like I used to get really excited about that kind of thing. And now I really don't because they're almost always unsatisfying. Um, they almost always are either like contradicted or superseded by whatever story comes later. Um, like you, you think about whatever, probably the collection for man of steel will have this little 10 page story at the beginning of it. And it will really mean nothing. Um, it's just a it's just a little teaser. It's not much. It's nice that Supergirl showed up. Yes. I agree with that part. 
Yeah, yeah, it was nice to see Supergirl. It was like a confirmation that not everything is being tossed out and that just because her book's getting canceled, we're going to see her. Um, Also, the the villain whose name I refuse to learn. (laughs) Brogalzar. Gosh, I hate you. Um, (laughs) Looks like the villain from Destiny 2, so... The villain from Destiny 2 may as well be called Rogalzar as well. He might as well, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this villain looks like every like oversized Superman slash DC villain of the past like, 20 years put together. A little bit of Doomsday, a little bit of uh, New Age of Heroes Damage, a little <laughs> bit of uh, Mongol. Mongol, yeah. Yep. What if that's the twist? It's every every villain had come together to destroy Krypton. <laughs> well, let's talk about the twist. So the twist is here that it seems like he he destroyed Krypton with Jor-El's knowledge. Like at Jor-El's uh command almost. Um yeah, I guess so. Yeah, he, he said, made a promise to Jarrell that he would destroy Krypton. Yes. Which and is I, maybe undercut a little bit by the fact that Jarrell is bad now. No, yeah. no, no, no. No, I think he's it's like a taunt. I promised Jarrell. Not oh, like okay. not like I, I promised him because he wanted me to. Okay, okay. Oh, I guess okay. Could, well, I mean you could take it either way. I don't think uh I hope that's not I that didn't even cross my mind. Like to me to me it was promised as a taunt. See, I took it as promise as Jarrell wanted him to do it. That's that's ugh. I hope I'm wrong cuz that would be icky. But uh that's fucked up. Yeah. Oh, I did, yeah, wow. I didn't even think that for 1 second. That's interesting. You know, it's it to me. It was like this is not a threat; it's a promise. You know, I don't know. I I mean, unless there's some other thing here, just having another villain who may have had a hand in destroying Krypton and having that be like the game changing thing doesn't feel like that big of a deal. No, maybe that's why I read it that way too. Because we were told like this is going to break the internet. This is going to be a big change. So I feel like unless it's Unless it's the way I'm reading it, it's not that big of a change. Okay. that Yeah, that's fair. It's like, who hasn't claimed to have destroyed Krypton at some <laughs> Seriously. point? Yeah, but this guy really did it. He really did it. You know what's really funny, too? Is that this is the uh, like the, the uh, prologue to Man of Steel, but we're getting another prologue to Man of Steel in yeah, that uh-huh. DC Nation book? Yeah. Well, we gotta learn why the underwear are back. Yeah. No, I was glad that they didn't... I was glad that there was no, like, in-story reason that they had to laboriously show us for oh, why think, he's in undies again. I think we're getting that, though. Are we getting it? Okay. I, I think they I said I, there was an in-story reason why. God damn. I How great would it that. be if it was in the middle of Man of Steel, like, one page, he just turns to the camera and was like, my dick is too big. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Brian. <laughs> that, honestly, I would rather that then, like a convoluted install, like one panel, throw away. I need the undies because my dick is too big. Then 
than to go through like an entire laborious reason why he put him back on. I want there to be a just a splash page of just Superman just looking at the reader and it to have about 30 word balloons just him explaining why. (laughs) And I want them to like start at the top left-hand corner and then like trace downward and then have a line that goes all the way back up to the top of the page. And it just goes column style, but they're all connected. You know, I'm I'm okay with that too. I just don't want it to be. I want it to be just like something I can read once and forget about. I want it to be the most Bendis page that Bendis has ever done. <laughs> I wanted it's, to have as much text as a prose novel would on a page. It's that page from Powers with the back and forth word balloons that everybody uses as a meme, and yes. one of one of the word balloons like conveniently drops down and covers up Superman's junk while he's putting on the underwear. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like it. So overall, I guess, uh, I'm going to say Vince probably liked this the most and Zach liked it the least. I guess I, I didn't love it, yeah. but I didn't love it, but I, I see Here's, here's what I see. I see the wheels turning in Bendis to create a Superman book that celebrates what's come before thematically and to be additive. And I don't know if I trust him to square that circle, but I I see the wheels turning, and I I can appreciate that. I'll, I'll say, and maybe this is just me being more critical now, than I was then, but I I remember Action Comics 900 being way more satisfying than this. Uh, maybe. I don't remember it at all. I remember it was the conclusion of the. Uh, was it the um, like the the Luthor? It was with, the conclusion the the Black Ring. The Black yeah. Ring, yeah. And also Superman 700, I think I liked that better, too. In fact, I know I did, because that was the end of the... See, both of those concluded the big storylines that were going on at the time. Action 900 concluded the Black Ring and had some fun anthology stories. And then Superman 700 concluded the whole new Krypton saga and kickstarted Grounded, for better or worse. But And it had some fun anthology series stuff. Like, this... Besides the the Bendis thing, I don't feel like either the Jurgens or the or the Tomasi story did all that much. No, they're each getting their own like special to have up there. Well, stuff. I know, yeah, I know, but but still, like, I felt I don't know this. Just, I, this just felt light. It felt slight. I wonder if they're banking on this, which is a weird thing to say, bringing in a lot of new readers. Because it is this monumental issue. Maybe. Maybe they just wanted to make it as accessible as possible. Yeah. That's fair. I think that's a pretty flawed idea, though. But, you know. I mean. Yeah. Anything else to say about this issue? (laughs) 
No. Um, I'm moderately excited for Man of Steel. I think I'm more excited for... Um, well, I'm really excited for the artist in Man of Steel. I, I think I'm more excited for the the actual like Superman and Action Comics proper runs to get going. Yeah, that sounds but, about right to me. All right, so let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a minute to talk about the rest of this week's titles. Marvel Ain't At The Movies is a new show on the Multiversity Podcast Network in which I, Alexis... And I, Matthew... Force our other friend, Matt... Hello. ...to watch every film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as they lead up to the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. You see, our friend Matt... has never read a comic book in his life, nor ever had any interest in watching any of these films until Black Panther came out. And even then I want to note that I just thought Black Panther was cool and really didn't feel like I had to watch any of these other movies. Which is where we came in and decided otherwise for him. (laughs) Each episode features us interviewing Matt before and after watching each film, gauging his knowledge of the characters, seeing what he thinks will happen, and what characters he starts rooting for or identifying with. And then mercilessly teasing him afterwards with all of the comic book knowledge, Easter eggs, and other random nonsense that we know and can hold over his head. Cool. So join us every weekday this April for a new episode full of cinematic insight. Fun facts. And I'm here also. (laughs) (laughs) And we are back. We're going to rapid fire the rest of the books for this week. Starting with Aquaman, number 35, written by Dan, uh, Dan Abnett, illustrated by Robson Roca, who seems to be on a different book every week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but doing decent work here. Batting relief, Brian. Batting relief. Uh, I, thought, I thought he did a nice job filling in here. He's maybe not as polished as the rest of the uh, Aquaman artists are, but I thought... With sort of the uh, the evil magic coming out of the uh, the tombs or whatever, that he he was able to strike a decent tone here. Yeah, I don't. I I, I think you're right. Um, Roka's art was on a book last week that we talked about. Was it Supergirl? That could be it. And I thought it was horrendous. In He's that. been on Supergirl a lot, and I've I've actually liked him on there. Really? Okay. And well, I thought his last issue was maybe. Bad. I know you've you've not liked him for a while. I I want to say, um, but I I thought that this year, especially with the colors, um, the colors really were really me. nice. Yeah, yeah, they're really nice. Who's the colorist here? I'm trying to Sunny scroll. Sunny Go. Oh, I like Sunny Go a lot. Um, I know their work a lot from, um, I guess, like, Lionel Francis Yu, I think, mostly, honestly. Mm. Um, I want to say that those two are paired together a lot. Um, but yeah, really great colors here. I love the, the, like, greens and purples. Um... But yeah, I um, I think maybe this arc is starting to get a little long in the tooth. I mean, it seems like it's going to be uh, wrapping up relatively soon. It, it does, yeah. I want to um, say the July solicits were the end of this. 
Yeah, I think I think just the combination of it being monthly now and then having that fill-in issue, I guess maybe, was it last month? Yes. That was the Kelly Jones Wrath-centric one? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but still, still good. This book is still good. I think that this will read really well as a trade one day. I, I agree, definitely. It's going to have to be a couple trades. Yeah. Yeah, because what, did it start with issue 25? 20... I think that's right. Something like that, yeah. But even just Abnett's run on the book as a whole has been really solid. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All right. Let's talk about Batman. Number 45, written by Tom King. God fucking damn this book, guys. <laughs> I hated this with the fury of a thousand sons. Zach. I didn't totally hate oh, this. Oh, God. There are a couple things that I really hated. Like everything Booster Gold said and did? No. Oh. Because while I don't think that this is like my idea of Booster Gold, like this isn't my canon Booster Gold. Hashtag not my booster. Not my booster. Um, I, I can see this. Yeah, I can. I mean, I can see it. Hmm. I felt like Tom King wanted me to hate Booster Gold and wish that he was never brought back. I mean, this is, like, dumb Booster Gold, but at the same time, as, like, a weird for the man who has everything homage, like, the most twisted for the man who has everything <laughs> you could ever have. Oh, it's twisted, all right. That's what this is. Uh-huh. And I can, like, kind of appreciate that, sort of. And, and I mean, honestly, oh, gosh, and I can't even look at the page. It's just, like, so, it bothers me so much. Oh gosh, I just looked at it and it gave me some cringes. Like, I hate that page with Duke. Oh, terrible. I hate it. Terrible. It is awful. To me, this issue is hey, let's take all the fun out of everything and let's make it into a comic. It is totally unenjoyable. The one thing that I will say was almost clever, but is too tongue-ticking for its own good, is the, uh, like, Jason Todd Tires commercial in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everything, like, right away, so right away, Jokerized Hal blows his own brains out, and that sets my expectations that I'm just going to hate this. You know, yep. this is like the this is like a writer taking the opportunity to like, hey, nothing matters. So we're going to make everybody do like really twisted, grisly things. And Booster Gold's going to call it awesome because he's like he watches Hal blow his brains out and he says it's awesome. <laughs> and I know that he's saying that because this is a world that doesn't exist because it's intended to show Bruce, how important it is that he became Batman. Right. But that doesn't make it awesome. And 
that doesn't make it anything other than a disgusting tone that's carried throughout this whole issue. I mean, this is um, also like this. This exact story just happened better in action comics. But yeah, basically. And just oh, Bat- Batman using guns—that's a weird thing. That he hey, he's not supposed to use guns. That. You know, like, and it's Dick Grayson as Batman, which again, well, yeah. they need to yeah. stop making Dick the Batman who does bad shit. <laughs> Dick is good right. and pure. Well, they did just do it for Tim. <laughs> That's true. Oh God, there's that Duke page. I hate. Ugh. Oh, it's so bad. It's so bad. <sighs> um. Booster makes a uh, a, coi- a f- farting during coitus uh, joke. <laughs> that that does happen. You're right. Yeah. Um. Oh, I just hated this. I hated this. And Booster's dialogue with Skeets. I didn't think I'd ever hate bantery dialogue worse than uh, Blue Beetle. And I think this was worse. Okay, so that section, there is that section that, um, trying to find it. I feel like it's on a splash page, or no, I can't remember. Yeah, there's one, like, egregiously bad section of dialogue between him and Skeets. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's on a splash page. It's, it's the one that starts with, um... It's on page, um, all of them. Okay, cool. Page 15, page 15 of the PDF is really, really bad. Yeah. Yep. Is it the one where he starts repeating like, No, it's like not. A it could be true. No, it couldn't. Yeah. You're there's, mean. <laughs> there's one where he's literally repeating what Skeet says like he's five years old and he just learned that joke. Uh-huh. Oh, it's terrible. It's just awful. It's It's what an unfunny person thinks clever dialogue sounds like. And I am so tired of it in comics. Did you guys also notice how this essentially has the same last few pages as the uh, issue of Doomsday Clock where Bruce meets the new uh, Rorschach? (laughs) Yeah, yep. Yep. Trash comics. Um... That brings us to Batman Creature of the Night Book 3, a book I totally forgot existed. <laughs> I I was reminded of it when I realized that I still hadn't read issue 2. So, <laughs> oh, if you wonder no. if you wonder how what happened with this issue, um <laughs> There's your hint. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the 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 issue is 52 pages long. And so I don't, I mean, I don't think we need to talk too much about the plot here, but basically, basically what it concerns is, is, you know, deepening the mystery of who this like mysterious, uh, Batman creature is that shows up at the whims of this Bruce Wainwright character, you know, and basically they're solving, they're trying to solve corruption in Gotham city. And there's some interesting like metaphysical stuff about it. I, on the whole, I think that this comic is it's a very quality, well-made comic, and yet as I'm reading it, I don't have any desire to really read it or go further. 
I'm not like excited when it shows up. That's it's a, Rufus excellent. Wainwright. Bruce Wainwright. Brufus Wainwright. Brufus Wainwright. That's that would right. be yes. so much more interesting. Yes, uh, soulful troubadour, son Brufus. of uh, another uh, Thomas Wainwright the third. Like Lab Wainwright, anybody? I get it. Yep. Anybody? Yeah. That guy from the Apatow movies, right? Yep. There we go. Nailed it. Nailed it. This is fine. The Jean-Paul Leon art is really good. It is. He's a treasure. Uh, moving on to Batwoman, number 14. Written by Marguerite Bennett, illustrated by Fernando Blanco. Um, I really love the variant cover this month, by the way. With Batwoman and Superman. Um, yes, I did too. I liked it a lot. By uh, Michael Cho. Mm-hmm. Superman has a huge head in it. Yeah. But it's a nice cover. Not wearing the trunks, though. No. So what do you guys think of this issue? I don't have much to say about this book anymore uh, until it, until we get to something new. Yeah, me either. I still really like the art. The, the Blanco is very good. The Blanco art is very nice. Very nice. <laughs> Shut up. Very nice. <laughs> very handsomely done. Every every everybody looks great. Um how are the costumes? Ten out of ten. Yeah, yeah. boy. I agree. Um, yeah, I just don't have much more to say about this. It's it's the face-off between uh, Alice or Betty and uh, and Kate, but it, yeah, it's just it's just kind of more of the same of what we've been saying about the book. Um. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I think you've said it all. There just isn't that much to say right now about this book. Mm-mm. Um, what about Cave Carson has an it's seller eye number two, written by John Rivera, illustrated by Michael Avon Oming. Um, I I thought this was fine. I'm liking this better than the first volume so far. I think I am too. I'm enjoying both volumes. <laughs> I was the highest on the first volume of the three of us. Um, I think that's true, yeah. Um, I think this is I think this is a lot I'm laughing more when I read it. That's my thing. Like the the first volume was funny, but I I'm noticeably laughing more. There's one point where there's one point where Cave gets all of his clothes blown off by uh, stars singing. Mm-hmm. They're in like the recording booth. Yep. And he gets all of his clothing blown off. And it is such a... I, I can imagine... <laughs> I can imagine a million different artists drawing that panel. And nobody's doing it quite from the angle or just in the, the exact way that Michael Avon Oming does it. 
and it's just so him. I don't know how to describe it other than it's so oming. Yeah, can't argue with that. Uh, no, I, I I think this is a really fun arc so far, and I love the podcast stuff at the end for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't get it. Because we're on a podcast. Uh, we are? I thought, I thought we were... Just, nobody's really listening to this, right? You've been recording this whole time? Yeah. Solid goof, guys. Solid goof. <laughs> well, this is the second time we've talked about Cave Carson where a goof of ours has gone... <laughs> Uh, ruined by our intrepid host. Thanks a lot. Should I bring Cave back onto the show? Can we can we try that again? Maybe you commit to a goddamn voice instead of just <laughs> doing a slightly more nasal version of your own voice. That bit would have gone better there, Vincey. Well, if it's good enough for uh, John Mulaney, it's good enough for me. His characters all have slight variations of his voice. Speaking of which, guys, Lobster Diner, amazing. <laughs> best, best SNL sketch all year. Uh, in, in in multiple years, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, especially because <laughs> my friends and I have had conversations about eating seafood in diners before. So, it, <laughs> You've never tried it, though, have No, you? of course not. We're not crazy people. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, the, the Mulaney episode on the whole was really good. It was. It was the first. I still, full... have, I still haven't seen it. Oh yet, man! So... It's the first full episode of SNL I've watched in a couple of years. Mm. Um, Zach, look my out wife, for lobster. My wife and I watch everyone. Yeah, watch out for uh, lobster diner and switcheroo. Okay, <laughs> switcheroo. <laughs> and the uh, the the student uh, protest. Yeah, sketch. Yeah, that one. I that one establishes its joke very early on. And, and I wish had built more on it, but doesn't really do that, but that's okay. It's still great. <laughs> but yeah, Lobster Diner and Switcheroo, Zach, you, you'll be disappointed. Gotcha. Uh, switcheroo. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Damage, number four. Written by Rob Venditti, illustrated by Carrie Nord. Um, so I have one very particular comment about, about this issue. Um, which is, and it's odd because it's the same writer. Venditti did the first three issues and also this issue, but I feel like this had about 80% more story than the first three issues put together. Like, more happened here, and it was more artfully told. If you take into account the idea that the artists were supposed to be driving the, the driving force behind the issues that they launched with, then that explains the the difference. I guess because, so, yeah. I mean, if you really think that that's what happened, if you, if you take DC at their word, then mm-hmm. it makes sense. I didn't read this, though. I think I'm done with this. I just, I opened it up and I just couldn't go on. That's fair. I read it and it, it was fine. I saw the panel that said this takes place before Batman 41 or whatever, and and I just said, okay, so they wanted to use Poison Ivy as a villain, and 
they couldn't think of anything else other than to place it in a time where her the level of her villainhood was up in the air still and so i don't know i just this is just as i will nothing. say to anyone who listens dc has no idea what to do with poison ivy they want to walk or, this line between between hero and villain with her or the new age of heroes they don't have any idea what to that is also true that is also true um yeah all right, it's time for Green Lanterns, boys. Strap in. Tim Seeley, Ronan Cliquet. Um, Jessica Cruz was a childhood hunter? <laughs> I think Tim Seeley was a childhood hunter. Yes, quite possibly. I mean, we, we grew up in the same area, and I have no doubt that the inspiration for this was pulled a little bit from living in that environment. Would you run into him when you were hunting as a kid, Vince? Yes, he shot me once. Okay. In the buttocks? <laughs> it's something just jump up and bit me. <laughs> I don't know why I went to Forrest Gump there, but... <laughs> uh... <laughs> hmm. Lieutenant Brian, ice cream. <laughs> uh, so this issue, huh, guys? Um, um, never thought I'd say this, but bring on the Jurgens. <laughs> yeah. This was really this was weird. They don't know what to do with these characters. They have no clue what to do with these characters. I didn't. I I love Tim Seeley. I think he's a great writer. I this this doesn't feel like just like a Jessica Cruz story. Okay, you ready for me to blow your mind, guys? <laughs> yeah. So we had the exclusive preview of this issue. So I had to go back and look up a couple of things when writing up like the solicit in mean, the the introductory text. When do you think Singularity Jane debuted in this book? Wasn't what, it... What issue? It was one of the ones with, um... Bolfunga, right? Yeah. It was less than... It was like six months ago, not even. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was at the first arc. <laughs> I feel like that character has been gone for a while. And I was like, oh, they're bringing back this character from like a year and a half ago. No, it was like oh. earlier this year. No, it was Tim C. Yeah, it was like Tim Seeley's first yeah issue or two. Yeah, I had no, I did not remember that at all. <laughs> yeah, I still don't know what her deal is. No, Apparently neither she, do I. But she feeds on fear, but like I'm not, I can never. When they talk about her, I can never in my mind like really know what her goals are or like what she's doing here. I yeah, I don't know. I just want this yeah. book to be something. So I really, this is something that I've been thinking a lot whenever I like think, whenever this stuff gets touched on. So like we've known about Jess's like trauma, like the whole, the thing that happened 
that like drove her to be like agoraphobic and and everything but i don't think that john's ever like explicitly like detailed everything and and i i couldn't remember if it had actually ever if like that had been a story that was ever told i don't believe so it was always just like hinted at I also feel like because she grew up on a different Earth, it would have been a very different type of story. Wait. Because wasn't she the power ring of the Injustice? Whatever's no, yes. no. She got power rings ring when he died. I'm sorry. Yes, my, my bad. Sorry. You're right. I should lose my continuity card for that. It's okay, I'll forgive you. I mean, I really I'll don't forgive care. you for not remembering Forever Evil. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, I just don't care that much about Jessica. Jessica's origin, I need to know why she's agoraphobic. Yeah. And also, people can just be things without a causation. Without having seen, like, all of her friends murdered in front of her. Yeah. 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 As I said before, I just want this book to do something. Now, speaking of doing something, we uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago about Old Lady Harley. Here we are on Harley <laughs> Quinn, number forty-two, written by Frank Thierry, illustrated by Morissette. Now, I did not realize that this was the issue, so I did not read it, but. Uh, Vince, well, you read it. I read it. Zach, did you read it? I got to Mad Maxi Pad and couldn't couldn't keep going. <laughs> Which is on like the second page. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that tells you, yeah. I mean, that basically tells you all you need to know. It's. I was telling Brian before the show, before you got on, Zach, that if you didn't tell me that Frank Thierry was writing this book, uh, I may have guessed that it was Palmiotti and Connor back. Because all the elements are the same, the dirty jokes are there. This is very much the path that Harley's been on. So if you're expecting anything new from Old Lady Harley, it's not really happening. Um, that said, I read this whole issue. Uh, the Old Lady Harley thing is only this issue. Like I, th- I was under the impression it was going to be an arc, but it's... This is basically just a one-off. And I will say that I didn't think it was great or anything. It's not like a classic anyone's going to remember. But there were some cute ideas peppered throughout. And I'm a big fan of Morissette's art. Um, That was one of my favorite things about the Dastardly and Motley book. And it's exciting to see them over on a DC book because I think that art style really plays well in a really like playful fashion. I think it could be additive to the DCU. So I hope more sets on more books from here on out. Um, there were some fun ideas like, uh, apparently Starro was president. Um, I wish Starro were president right now. You know what I'm saying? Right. 
Um, I would rather see Starro's dick. <laughs> Enough said. Um, yeah, it was fine. Nothing mind blowing. I think if people like what Harley Quinn's generally been doing, this is this is in that wheelhouse. Um, I was hoping it'd be a little bit more interesting or different than that, and it wasn't. But there were cute parts. I don't have much more to say than that. All right. Let's move over to Justice League number 43, written by Priest, illustrated by uh, Pete Woods. We get a a nice cover of uh, Deathstroke showing off his uh, backside to us. <laughs> He's real sassy. Yeah. <laughs> so, Zach, you've been down on this whole arc. What do you think of this final issue? I liked this issue a lot. I was down with this issue. What changed for you in this issue? Um, it was good. <laughs> it was good as opposed to the bad ones. Man, Priest should have tried that earlier, shouldn't he? Have? Yeah, he should have. Um, <laughs> I can talk about some specific things that were good about this. Please. Oh, I can too. I can too. I oh. mean, you you wondered what you asked me what was different between this issue and the previous ones, and I told you. <laughs> um, I really liked. Um, I mean, basically everything with Deathstroke was good. The Wonder Woman fighting Thanatos stuff was good. Um, the stuff with Raven was good. And the stuff with Jess at the end was good. You know what was not good? The end to the lunch, the the punchline for the whole lunch thing. <laughs> yeah, that was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was bad. Was Superman actually firing him, or was he overreacting and leaving early? I, I think it was that one, the second one. It yeah. seemed like angst. It was kind of... It was almost the reversal of this whole throughout this whole run he's angsty about what this lunch means and then he turns around and overreacts at the drop of a hat when he's actually there. Right. You know? But it kind of fell flat to yeah. me. Yeah. Um although Superman like grinning and ordering food despite Simon storming off was kind of funny, I thought. That was yeah, yeah. that was good. Yeah, I thought this was the best issue of Priest Run yet, and I, the reason why is because not only because of all the good stuff Zach just mentioned, but because of the way it kind of wrapped up. So the first thing I want to talk about is the de- whole Deathstroke thing. I love how he's like, um, you can't prove that I killed it. You know, you just saw a gun. Uh-huh. You didn't. You didn't match right. a bullet to the gun, and then he's like. And even if I did, aren't you happy about it? Yeah. <laughs> so like that was a that was a perfect like deathstroke moment that was funny and true to the character and also additive to the plot. And I, I really like where Priest ended up taking that resolution. I th- I thought I think that's a genius way to solve this problem that Priest presented at the beginning of his run that didn't have a conventional solution and he found a way around it that was really 
I can't imagine very many other writers other than a, a savvy veteran like Priest coming up with something like that. And it, it really worked. And then I love that he wrapped it up um, in a way that see, that segues right into the No Justice stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, Sometimes I like when, like, I think if a writer has a long run and they really earn the chance to put everything back in the box and wrap up their run, I like when that happens. But I don't like when you've got a momentous run or event that's about to start, and the previous arc, if it was kind of a short fill-in arc or a one-off, doesn't acknowledge it at all or pretends like nothing is happening, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I liked that in this case, Priest, like, was a total team player and actually set it up to kind of slide right into No Justice. Um, I, and, and made it work from his arc to the next. I thought that was really cool. And it didn't very, seem forced either. Issue. Not no, uh, yeah. Sometimes these things really feel logical. so shoehorned in, and I feel like Priest handled it very naturally. Yeah, this this felt like the this flowed really well from the end of Metal too, kind of. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, there, yeah, yep. Like the at least that like closing segment with like with Jessica and Vixen and the um wherever they are, I guess the JLA research center on Rhode Island. Yeah. I love, I love how, (laughs) I love how it kind of makes you think like it's going to, um, kind of decimate everything that's come before. And then it's like, Oh no, there's, it's something bigger coming. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, do we know what Simon's doing? We do not. Like is Jessica, we know is part of Odyssey. We don't know if Simon's part of any team right now, right? Mm-mm. Okay. Wasn't sure about that. Although it is weird that he is on—he's still in this on the last page, you know, with the whole Justice League. Yeah. Yeah. He's—they're just going to show him like—he's uh, going to be the chef at the Hall of Justice or something. <laughs> um. So I really like this issue. You guys have said a lot of the reasons why I think this is uh, about as good as Pete Woods has been on this book as well. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of really nice pages of Pete Woods stuff. I really like the stuff with Cyborg in this issue. I think um, Priest is the first writer to really get Cyborg right as part of the Justice League. Um, mm-hmm. I don't particularly love the... Uh, Idea that Catwoman watches Real Housewives. But that's okay. Um, I'm just kidding. I don't care. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this issue quite a bit. I, I like this run, though, so this isn't surprising for me. Um, but yeah, I look forward to uh, to No Justice next month. Uh, that brings us to Mr. Miracle, number eight. Written by Tom King, illustrated by Mitch Gerrids. Vince, you didn't like this issue, it seems. I didn't like it, no. Tell us why. Um, I, 
I I don't you know some issues of this book I really like, and some issues of this book are just too indulgently Tom King for me. Um, the device of uh, Scott singing to his son Jack mock the yeah ing yeah bird yeah 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 all right go ahead <laughs> those your skis <laughs> both of them <laughs> cool um <laughs> we've landed on the moon no um uh i could go all night yeah um both cheeks both lips right here <laughs> I don't know, Louis, the no. French are assholes. <laughs> John Denver's full of shit, yeah. man. Um, I swallowed a big June bug on the way over here. So. No, it's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. You'd shut Killer your mouth boots, if you man. Knew it was good for you, you pumpkin pie haircutted freak. <laughs> um, and scene. Yeah. Um, yes, anyway. Just the... The page of him just singing that whole song to his son, very overindulgent Tom King stuff. But then, of course, he's got to do that several more times in the issue, except in those scenes, it's that song overlaying some very, like, gruesome imagery from the war, uh, like, from the war that he's in, or that he's, I guess, is the, like, commander of. Yeah. Um, and that is just so like maudlin and over the top. It reminds me, it, it's like the comic version of the, uh, slow pop song covers that's, that are on every action movie trailer these days. You know I don't, what I'm talking I don't disagree about? with that. Yeah. Like I, it's supposed to be like, Oh wow. That's like an innocent song being sung over some fucked up images, you know? It's like very, it's like Gears of War shit. To yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's although like, I, it is literally one of the creepiest lullabies. I think I hate it. I think it's so creepy. <laughs> it's a twisted lullaby. The most twisted I, of lullabies. I think it is. Oh man, it it's 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 too dark for me. I don't know. <laughs> I just think that device is so unoriginal and played out at this point. Like the yeah. innocent song being played over gruesome imagery is oh. it's, it's supposed to be like too deep for you or like super serious. And it just comes off as maudlin. Well, I, I have one take on it that I, that I bring up only cause you didn't, you didn't mention it. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if you noticed or if you noticed and you didn't care. But I really liked on the on the page where he sings it through the first time and he gets to the bottom left corner and says if that looking glass gets broke and it does the distortion thing. Mm-hmm. Like that felt thematically relevant and important because of the, you know, the theory that we have that this whole thing is not real or or is. That there's something going on here. And in that way, I thought that, like, okay, this feels thematically relevant and important to what King is doing here. 
Oh, now sure. later, later when you get to like the stuff on the war, yeah, I'm like totally with you there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did, I, I did like its use at least initially. Sure, I, I can see your, I can see your point there. That is interesting. That's an interesting panel, fun little art detail. Another uh, sort um, of panel with distortion later on in the issue. Um, Scott is wearing a. Uh, like electric blue Superman T-shirt, uh-huh. and then in one panel the logo goes red. Yeah, yeah. I do. I do appreciate the depth of Scott's superhero T-shirt collection. <laughs> yep. Yeah, he had a Nightwing on at one point. A Booster Gold fan club shirt. Yep. A lot yep. of booster this week. Yes. Um... Yeah. Uh, you guys go ahead. I, I just you know this one just tonally didn't do it for me and it i felt like it was indulgent in places and uh it does feel indulgent of course it is the tom king book <laughs> yeah but they're not all i mean sometimes sometimes he hits just the right sweet spot batman kills babies <laughs> excelsior yeah. uh zach do you want to go or you want me to go um I don't know if I have a lot more to say. Um, other than that, this is increasingly just becoming like less a book about new gods or anything other than like, this is just the, this is the most like outlandish slice of life comic I've ever read, you know? Yeah. Um, you, what are your thoughts? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, just a couple of artistic things. The panel where Scott tells Barta how beautiful she looks, she looks terrifying. <laughs> it's just not a very flattering like uh, angle of her. She just got back from the war. I know. That's mean. I guess you are kind of just seeing the whites of her eyes, and it looks like her eyes are rolling back in her head, yeah. but that's not what he's seeing. Um, there's a... Uh... There's also a. Uh, I'm sorry, I was distracted by uh, <laughs> something. I'm not going to say. It. Our listeners get mad at us when we do this, so I'm not going to say <laughs> what, what we're distracted by. That but, can't. Yeah. Um, sorry. But I, I think it's pretty hilarious how they're clearly making the baby look like Jack Kirby. <laughs> yeah, it is Jack. He's the king. I know it is, but just you know, the fact that some of the baby faces looks like a 60 year old Jewish man. <laughs> You know, yeah. in, in a little newborn baby is uh, it's great. I I thoroughly enjoy that. Complete with cigar in a couple panels. <laughs> I'm kidding about yeah. that, but yeah. Um, no, I think this is pretty much par for the Mister Miracle course. I for some reason I can put up with Tom King's sort of indulgent bullshit on this book far more than I can on his other superhero stuff. This is still not at the Omega Man level of good. Uh, or even close to that, but I can deal with this far more uh, reasonably than I can with, like, Batman, let's say. Yeah. It's crazy to me that we're two-thirds of the way through this. Yeah. And we're still only four issues into Doomsday Clock. (laughs) I'm just trying to make it to that mime and marionette issue. Imagine if Jim Lee was drawing Doomsday Clock, how long it would take. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm imagining it would just have a Tyler Kirkham villain issue. Yeah. <laughs> well played. I'm imagining that gif from Saving Private Ryan of Matt Damon aging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's me. <laughs> yeah. Someday someday we'll get the rest of Frank Miller's All Star Batman. I was gonna Robin. say All Star Batman and Robin What? <laughs> so Alright, that brings us to Nightwing 43, written by Michael Morisi, illustrated by Min-Q Young. Uh, this is a Damien, Dick, and Roy team of issue, which was kind of fun. Uh, this seems like the type of story that might have been in a drawer for some time, or I know Morisi was part of that uh, writer's workshop, maybe this is a writer's workshop issue, um, but I thought it was pretty enjoyable. What did you guys think? I thought it was interesting that it had Roy and Cheshire like showing up together at the same time that like the Titans arc is going on right now. That was just like a weird bit of coincidence, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird how DC seems to do that. Like, I think I mentioned this a couple months ago. If there's like a side character that shows up all of a sudden they start showing up in a bunch of other books like like they're on the table and it's weird how that happens maybe we only notice it when it's obvious like this maybe it happens less than i think but yeah Yeah. what'd you guys think of the issue itself i thought that this was maybe mm, we're going to talk about an issue that i liked more this week but i think this was damn close to the best issue of the week for me. And this this is how you do, like, modern sort of snarky, jokey dialogue and narration without it being just insufferable back and forth or just this – it wasn't it's, – it's, it's snarky and, and humorous without being repetitive. I feel like so many writers these days in emulating other writers who are much more clever rely on repetition. And I feel like Maurice strikes a nice balance here of being like snarky and jokey and funny and bantery with without the repetition. You know, a lot of this is genuinely funny to me. Yeah, I agree with that. I thought this... Um... You know, this kind of portrayed Roy as the sort of dumbass goofball that he sometimes is unintentionally played off as. You know, it did a nice job of of bringing that into a story where it it sort of leaned into that, but not in a. But you still came out of it liking Roy. You know what I mean? Like it was it was still a pretty positive interpretation of the character. I thought Damien was great as always. Um... I thought Young's artwork was really fun and playful and uh, had some great like over-the-top facial expressions, which just mm-hmm. fit the story really, really well. And, uh, yeah, I thought this was a really fun issue. The last two issues of Nightwing have been possibly the best the, sh- the book has ever been since uh, Rebirth. Yeah. And they both kind of, forgive the term, throwaway fill-in issues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are not, those are good sometimes though, you know? Like, Absolutely. Sometimes that's what I want. Um I got a question. Who did the colors on this? Uh, I can tell you. In a it second. was uh Felipe Sobrero. So okay. 
I just want to point out that throughout the issue, um, the the there are panels, many many panels throughout, where the background is kind of light on uh, substance, or the background kind of falls away. Mm-hmm. And Sabriro, or however you pronounce that, fills it in with different colors sometimes. So like, there will be panels where it's just like dick and damien talking and the background will be completely red or completely pink Mm -hmm. there's one sequence where uh i think it's dick and cheshire yeah dick and cheshire are uh fighting over a knife and in one panel cheshire has the upper hand and the background's completely red and then the next panel dick like reverses and comes forward and the background turns completely yellow. And those two panels next together look so dynamic and really highlight like the change in energy of between the characters. Yeah. And I think that's an, an incredible touch and a way to on these panels where there there was no background or you know maybe no background was necessary to give it some sort of flavoring that really stands out. And I, I think it, it it actually affects the energy of the issue too. You know, it's a really nice technique. Mm-hmm. Andrea Sorrentino does that a lot. I feel mm-hmm. like, yes. especially yeah, the good, red good backgrounds. Thought. Yep. It's yep. a very old school move too. Yeah. And yet like in, in a lighter issue like this, it really helps the dynamism of everything. Absolutely. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. I don't think I liked it quite as much as last the last issue, but it's yeah, definitely still very good. Alright, well let's talk about Super Sons number fifteen then. Uh written by Peter Tomasi, illustrated by Carlo Barberi. Um this was uh this had both a random scientist and uh and John said they were going to marry some noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Big noodle stuff. Um, we see Kid Amazo come back. This is the penultimate issue, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed this. It was. It was. Uh, it, was, it, was, fu- it, was fun. it was. Yeah. Take it away, Zach. I don't have much to say. I, I don't really either. Um, I liked the stuff with, as always, like the stuff with John and Damien is good. Um, I didn't have a ton to say about the art necessarily. I love that Dustin Wynn variant cover. Yes. Um, I love the bit where, you know, Damien is lifting weights and John just comes by and puts his finger on the weight. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's totally like a yeah. That's a that's a great, great John versus Damien moment. Um, uh, but otherwise, you know, I just kind of thought this issue was fine. I feel like it's it's tying together a couple of things that have been going on throughout the book, but mm-hmm. I hope that it does so in a way that leaves that gives us more of an idea of where John's story is going from here. Mm-hmm. One uh, 
One interesting thing, not about the book, but about kind of DC Comics and Big Two Comics as a whole and how they tell stories over like creative runs that I'm noticing, and it's in this issue too, is that there are a lot of times where, you know, what's the most we can hope for from a creative run these days? Like two years, right? It's very rare that a creative team lasts on a book for more than two years, right? Right. And there seems to be a lot of arcs these days where something is introduced in an early arc and then it's only like two or three or four arcs and they go back to that well again. And it's it's like they're closing a loop that they started or they're um, bringing a character full circle like with the Kid Amazo stuff. Um that that seems to be more noticeable these days because there's such short creative runs these days. I'm sure it's always happened, but you know, it's almost like it's kind of like the um, Singularity Jane stuff too. You know, yeah, Brian, you, you felt like it was at the start of the Green Lantern. Well, it was at the start of Tim Seeley's run, and now he's going back to sort of square that circle. That and that's like a weird pattern that I'm noticing more and more in modern comics because of the short runs that all these books are getting. Mm. I I don't know what to say about it other than it just seems like it's a consequence of giving writers who have plans these books and then after 15 issues saying, well, you got to wrap it up. So so we start to see these characters that were in arcs just, you know, two or three arcs ago coming back and it almost feels repetitive sometimes. But they're really just trying to close out whatever they've got going. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Alright, let's talk about Superman number 45, the final issue of this run, written by Gleason and Tomasi, illustrated by Pat Gleason. Uh, I love this issue, guys. Oh, it's good again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was the best issue of the week, I think. They brought it back to Hamilton, they mm-hmm. brought it back to Gleason on art, and everything feels good again. Yeah, we get another um, issue at the fair. Um, which do you remember? Like that issue that I think it was issue seven after Six the or seven, first yeah. issue after the first arc wrapped up. Like that was when the series really hit its stride. That mm-hmm. was the Jorge so issue. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And so I have like extremely fond feelings towards the the Hamilton um, fair. Yeah, um, in terms of like its importance in this run, Hamilton is like especially like I'm I'm really amazed at their ability to make me care about Hamilton as a place when it's really just kind of a Smallville stand-in. Yeah, um, but it definitely I feel like feels like it has its own unique identity. Um, yeah, this was good. Yeah, this was this was everything that was good about the Tomasi run on Superman jettisoning jettisoning everything that was bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we've talked over the last couple of years about how there were times when Superman was easily the best book DC was putting out, and then there were other times where it had like completely lost its way, and it 
didn't even make any of our top tens, you know? And I felt like this instantly transported you back to, it was like putting on a comfortable pair of pants again, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or red underwear. Ah, ah. Um, yeah, I mean, this even had, like, Boizaro and stuff from the last arc, but it was all the stuff that worked. You're right, this is, like, the greatest hits of Superman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. All right, well, that brings us to our final issue of the week, The Brave and the Bold, Batman and Wonder Woman, number three, written and illustrated by Liam Sharp. Um, visually, this book is great. Liam Sharp's doing great, great stuff. I just can't say I care about the plot that much. Um. Yeah, I, I didn't read this one. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the art is beautiful, but... Um, I didn't read it either. <laughs> guys. I, I went... I went from having nothing but nice things to say about the first issue to being extremely met on the second issue and not being able to muster up the energy to get through this one. The art looks really nice from what I can see. The one thing I will say is this issue featured a lot of Batman being a detective and like figuring shit out. I always appreciate that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That is nice. That's the good stuff. Well, maybe I, maybe should I should I go back and if only cuz I'm going to have to read the next 3 issues. Yes, you should go back <laughs> and read this one. Well, none of us could read it if we really this, want. It doesn't look as wordy as the last few issues, so maybe I'll give it a maybe I'll give it a look see and none of it takes place in Gotham. It looks like so that it has that going for it. Yeah. I'll 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 give it a shot. All right. And that does it for this installment of the DC3 cast. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now. Rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate that. Go to multiversitycomics.com. Uh, you'll see my review of Action Comics 1000 on there. And uh, we have an interview with Patrick Gleason going up as well. It'll be up by the time this episode comes out. And uh, lots more good stuff. And you can follow all three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm Vince Ostrowski. I'm at SirFox89. And we'll be back next week. What's the big book next week? Do we know? Ooh. Uh, Man, you put me on the spot here. Uh, not Batman, that's for sure. I guess it'll be Detective Comics, right? Yeah. How many more of those do we got before... I think he's up at 81, right? So I think we have three issues. Yeah, I want to say we have one more April and two in May. Do we think this Doom Patrol is really coming out? No. Oh, man, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, it's on there. Oh, the end of Demon Hell is Earth. I think I think this is the last issue of Justice League. Is that right? Of Justice League of America. Yeah. I mean, Justice League yeah. of America, yep. Uh, the end of the Perfect Storm Flash story. End of... Um, is it the end of Trinity? It is. Yep. Another issue of the Terrifics. All right. Um, There's some stuff. There is some stuff. A Titan's Sil- Annual? Oh, is this the Bogdanovic, first Bogdanovic issue of Silencer? I think so. Yeah, yeah. That'll, be, that'll be nice. All right, so we do have some stuff to talk about next week.
And uh, please join us then. Thanks, guys. Bye. I think I'm rotting from the inside. I've had that feeling many times.